Welcome to the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome to Compounding World, and welcome to the latest episode of a PCCA podcast. This is the Mortar and Pestle, and my name is Mike Delisio, your host of the podcast, and I'm joined remotely once again with Sebastian Dennison, member of our clinical services team. Hi, Seb. I know we're not in the same office. We're still recording remotely, but we're still managing to get these podcasts turned out. It's amazing what technology can do for us, and it's, it's great to be back. So, And welcome back, listeners. Uh, as a special guest today, we're, we're turning our attention away from COVID-19 and, and more, I would say, back into the realm of compounding pharmacy. And we couldn't think of a better opportunity to actually sit down and to speak to one of our members. And uh, today we are joined by Mark Flannery. So Mark Flannery, welcome to the podcast. You, uh, you are obviously part of a proud member of Anderson Compounding in Bristol, Tennessee. And we, uh, we would love to sit down and chat more about the regulatory climate and, and obviously some of the specifics that pertain to your store and, and your role within the pharmacies. But welcome to the Mortar and Pestle. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. This has been a long time coming, Mark. I think uh, this is something that we had planned for a while. Um, as we look back on the prior 40 episodes that we've had a chance to record, uh, as a review, we've, we've discussed, you know, method suit- suitability testing and stability indicating assay, uh, which was a, a very lengthy discussion with Ross Caputo from Eagle. We also had a chance to discuss some of the regulatory changes pertaining to USB 795 and 797. Uh, we've had a chance to discuss our bases and our proprietary information as it pertains to our formulation database as well as Formula Plus, which is our extended beyond use dating um, studies that have been performed on certain formulations. And I think today's episode and our conversation will probably touch on a lot of the prior information that we we discussed with members of the PCCA team, but not necessarily with a compounding pharmacist like yourself. So um, very high level, Mark, for the listeners out there, if you can maybe discuss your role within the pharmacy and the community that you serve in Bristol. Uh, we, uh, we are in Bristol, Tennessee, uh, which Bristol, Tennessee, for all those that don't know, is uh, actually half of our city is in Tennessee. The other half of our city is in Virginia. So we're right on the, right on the Virginia line uh, in Tennessee. Uh, we're considered rural uh, in this area. We have um, the city itself has right about 40, 45,000 people in it. Um, but we, you know, we um, have patients in a, in a broad area uh, in the Tri-Cities, uh, which is um, an area that we're in. Um, and we do uh, quite a bit of compounding. Uh, that's that's our main thing that we, we actually do here in the pharmacy. We have a traditional side, uh, just like a lot of pharmacies do still, and we have a, a women's health side uh, with clinical pharmacists that see uh, women's health patients as well. But uh, our, our main structure in our pharmacy is compounding, uh, and we, we compound for um, um, the majority of the state of Tennessee and in Virginia, as you can imagine, where <clears throat> we are on the, on the border there. Uh, we do um, – uh, we – had did sterile have done sterile compounding uh, for about 20 years, and uh, as of last year, we did stop uh, doing sterile. So now we're just doing um, non-sterile only, uh, is what our main primary focus is. <clears throat> and anything from uh, veterinarian um, 
compounding to coarse women's health compounding um, to any any other kind of compounding that uh, that that needs um, you know any any other uh, medications that need to be compounded uh, based on you know the area that we're in. So we have a, a, a quite a wide variety of of uh, patients from different socioeconomic scales and areas and uh, that all flood into this area. So uh, we 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 have a you know a, a vast array of patients that we compound for. <clears throat> and uh, you know our pharmacy we've been here um since 1991, 92 is when Cleve Anderson uh, opened Anderson Compounding Pharmacy. So um, he has been here for a long time. I've been here since I graduated pharmacy school uh, the last 10 years. Um, so um, I've been um, in compounding for 10 years now, and now I am the director of the compounding lab and over our billing department as well. So, um, you know, I, I love what I do. I really enjoy it. It gives me an opportunity to um, get a do a lot of different things that you can't do in just traditional pharmacy or in other pharmacy realms or uh, even other medical realms. I get to talk to a lot of interesting people, a lot of interesting providers and nurses, and uh, get to get to help them tackle uh, problems. As a lot of our listeners out there know, that's the uh, one of the most rewarding things about what we do. So um, I just really enjoy my job. <laughs> now I know we're going to get into the meat of the topic pretty soon. Uh, or the podcast, but I, I'm going to probably circle back and I'm going to get you to start thinking about it, but I probably want to hear some of the stories that you enjoy and what brought you into compounding, but we'll touch on that a bit later if that's okay. Um, sure. Today, I, yeah, um, today, like, I, I just kind of want to touch on a few things. You were in sterile and you're now kind of focusing on the non-sterile world, and you were just discussing with us a little bit before we, we started recording with respect to some of the changes that you're starting to now see in the non-sterile world that's almost uh, a bleed out just curious as to what the perspective is in tennessee and virginia um, from the state board perspective uh this traditionally our state board has um you know they have been almost i wouldn't say exclusively they do a lot of you know of course traditional uh, pharmacy inspections when they're coming in and they're talking to us and a lot of the guidances that they guide us with that that's traditionally like in probably in all states that's where kind of we all started um, with uh, state board inspections and that type of thing and then interactions with your state board inspector um, of course over the last five six years they've really uh, became all of them have become experts in sterols so uh, you know we had a lot of interactions with them on the sterile side not but we're now we're transitioning over um, they've they've definitely all um, kind of mastered that that side of the of the coin and now they're flipping over to the 795 spectrum uh, they're becoming um, uh, well versed in 795 uh, and we'll be well versed in these changes when they when they take place they'll start um, I know that I've you know I have a great relationship with our state board inspector here and receive calls uh, you know on a semi-regular basis from them uh, questioning a lot of 795 things so they're definitely digging in now to 795 and I'm sure we're going to see that you know not only in the state of Tennessee and Virginia and we'll probably see that across the board so being that you guys are focused primarily on 795, I would imagine with some of those changes that are coming in, you're obviously ahead of the curve because you're A, aware, and B, probably already doing the work to make sure you stay compliant. Um, and, and kind of the primary reason we wanted you to come in is talk about one of the fundamental things that you see as a, as a barrier 
for a lot of for a lot of pharmacies right now that uh, that could potentially be derailing to them, but also an advantage to pharmacies that are that are compliant. Well, the the biggest hurdle we're going to have to jump uh, with with all the new guidances, you know, that are that are coming in right now with seven nine with you know the USP, well, pretty much with all of them, even sterile, non-sterile, and eight hundred. Uh, one of the biggest ones for your just traditional non-sterile compounding uh, pharmacy, um, or non yeah non-sterile compounding pharmacy, is going to be uh, you know the the stiff BUD dating and testing that they're going to implement, um, and. You know, our traditional tests, uh, I, I can't even imagine um, how many uh, potency testing and BUD dating uh, testings that we have done just since I've been here. Uh, at one time, we were doing about, we were probably doing 10 to 15 a month. Um, and, you know, whenever we go to the new guidance, the new uh, USP guidelines, those all those testings that we have done are, you know, they're they're not sufficient anymore. Uh, we're not going to be able to hang our hats on those as compounding pharmacists in order to uh, extend BUD dating past what USP recommends, you know, based on water content and that type of thing. Um, we're going to all have to uh, find a new a new way to either. Um, be a compounding pharmacy that does no anticipatory compounding. You have one person walk in the door and you make their compound right then. Uh, and I, I don't know of anybody that, that that's a model that they could uh, keep their doors open doing, um, you know, that that's tough. Uh, <clears throat> well, but, I, I, and I, I kind of wanted to touch back because the history was, and you were mentioning like you could rely on professional perspective, but now it's changed. And so, Right. You know, at one time, in, yeah. you know, in the state of Tennessee, you know, we were we we were able to say, you know, uh, we were able to use our professional judgment, uh, and if there was a manufactured product out there and we made it, you know, similar to the the way it was, um, you know, uh, manufactured at one time, we could we could hang our hat on that. Uh, we could we could interchange uh, if we had a BUD test uh, done by, um, you know. Trissels or somebody else out there uh, that had a published BUD test, we could, you know, we could we could take that test and we could change some of the ingredients, uh, different suppliers, different, um, you know, just different ingredients in general. If it was a water base, we could we could go from using, you know, Aura Plus to PCCA suspended or uh, whatever we wanted to to change in there under our professional judgment. We were allowed to do that. Well, that's kind of been taken away from us now. We we really don't have that. You can't hang your hat on professional judgment, period, uh, when it comes to that. You have to back it up uh, with testing or with a test uh, is where we are today and where we're headed, especially whenever they fully implement the new changes in USP. My understanding is that and the language and the verbiage in 795 says stability indicating assay and specific formulations. And so how does that roll out in your pharmacy? Well, what that what that means in our pharmacy is is that we um there is there is n no longer an interchange uh there is not a there's there's no testing that i have at this point that meets those guidelines which means that once once this becomes uh in effect um i have no testing um i have nothing that i can back uh anything other than the usp's new bud dating um so that means I'm either going to have to find, you know, compliance by testing or with a test uh, once this new 
you know, the new regulations are in play because I'm going to be inspected based on that in the state of Tennessee. So now, and I'm, because you're an operations manager, have you looked into the cost of doing one of those tests? Well, I can tell you that uh, that was originally, and I can that is a lot of that that is a lot of uh, the thought process going on out there right now. And I was in that same bucket <laughs> until yeah. uh, not not too long ago. Whenever I thought, well, let's really dig down to the nuts and bolts of of what the cost is going to be and why is the cost going to be there uh, compared to the cost that we we were incurring by testing before. Um, and if, if we look at the new guidelines and we look at a lab, whether it be Eagle or whether it be any of the other labs that are out there, um, you know, they're all having to meet the new standards. So therefore they're all, you might find one that's 10% cheaper. Let me just tell you, it really doesn't matter on <laughs> 10% cheaper or not. Um, because the, the new guidelines that are out there are very, very expensive. Um, and when we look at, um, if we look at just, you know, the, the original, um, or not the original, but there's, there's a, a phase one testing and a phase two testing. And in a phase one testing, uh, for one ingredient, um, you're, you're looking anywhere from 5,000 to 7,500. And that really gets you no BUD dating at all, uh, past about a 30 to 45 day, depending. Uh, but it's, it doesn't extend past the USP. And what phase one really does is it sets up, uh, the ability to do extended testing uh, is what we're really doing. It gives you a, a baseline. Um, it, it lets them actually, your lab, whoever you use, um, come up and develop a new method uh, to verify the potency of the new drug, um, you know, for extracting it, you know, through HPLC or whatever, may, whatever means they're using, and um, preparing all of the uh, the tests that are to come <laughs> that they have to do now with USP. So before you get into it at all, uh, you're between five and five thousand and seventy-five hundred dollars before you even start really doing extended dating. Uh, that's just to lay the the foundation, the groundwork. Um, once we decide, once we decide, okay, well let's 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 extend this out there and let's see how far we can go with it. Well, now we're looking at not a test but a series of tests. Because we have to make sure that, uh, you know, that our, our containers are, uh, you know, are stable over time, that we're, whatever we're putting the medication in. We have to make sure that, you know, uh, we're, if we are antifungal in there, uh, static or whatever we have in there to keep uh, fungus from growing or bacteria from growing, uh, that it also sustains over time. Uh, and, you know, when we think about those things, we, and especially as pharmacists have been doing this for a while, you know, we, we, we do think, well, man, that, that's a, that's a great idea for you know for orals. Uh, you know, when you whenever you're making long-term uh, suspensions for somebody to take, that's over 30 days. We stick it in the fridge. You know, if if we have testing on it, uh, before we were like, well, yeah, that'll you know that would definitely hold the uh, the concentration will hold. Um, but could you say 100% that over time that we're not growing a bacteria or something else in there? No, we we really didn't test it, you know. So that aspect of the new testing, I mean, it, it makes sense. It makes sense to a practitioner if you think about it. Um, but everything we do, of course, incurs uh, more cost on the on the bottom line of the test. And by the end of by the end of the phase two testing, and when you really start getting back some figures on, okay, well now. This is where I am saying 30 days, 40 or 30 days, 60 days uh, as I'm extending that out. Uh, I'm not having fungal growth. My, my containers are adequate. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, 
we're not having and, and my uh, drug is stable yeah. and my drug is stable uh and it's not not only is my drug stable but i'm not having any anything that 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 is creeping up in there that shouldn't be there that we didn't know would be there whether it be uh, i'm having a, a metabolite that's that's popped up and originally i thought my drug is stable but it really wasn't i'm just seeing double peaks you know th- those kind of mm-hmm. things is what we're looking at now uh and of course those come with a big expense and it, it doesn't matter if you want to want to do those or not if you want your test to be um you know to pass usp and to make your regulators we're all regulated by everybody under the sun now uh whether it be your state regulators and abp inspections whether it be a different state board coming in and inspecting you the fda coming in and looking at you whoever comes in and looks at you they're going to want to see these in there to be compliant with usp because they know that is our bible as compounders uh that are that are not manufacturers so uh that phase two testing um just for one ingredient um for just a short period of time say 30 days uh, maybe 60 days you're i mean you're looking at for one ingredient thirteen fourteen thousand dollars so right now we're into about maybe one to two months at fourteen thousand dollars plus the five to seven thousand dollars on the front end um and when when we look at that we used to used to be able to get a single ingredient over a six month six tests uh you know for gosh a few hundred if i remember maybe, correctly well, yeah, well i like Two fifty, three hundred dollars, you know, per test. Stretch that over time. We we're we're maybe fifteen hundred bucks, if that, uh, to get yep. a six month dating. And now, now, you know, we're looking at uh, twenty, twenty two thousand uh, before we even get past the the first sixty days. You know, so when you really stretch these out and and you look at some testing and you're looking at, okay, I'm going to be sixty. You know, I could be sixty thousand dollars into this with one or two ingredients to get ninety days to. Um, you know, six months, uh, which would that would be on the cheap side for six months. You you really get to think, uh, okay, well now what am I going to do? Uh, oh my gosh, I make, you know, I, I don't know how many SKUs compounders have out there. You know, I, we have several hundred different <laughs> compounds that we make. Yeah. And when you look at that, it's like, well, what am different I either strength, not going to do combinations, different, yeah. yeah, all these different things. And it's like, what am I going to do? You know, when I look at at direct cost and, okay, you know, I can recoup that cost over the next 20 years, (laughs) maybe. What, you're telling me that a patient's not going to pay $25,000 on top of the cost of their (laughs) compound just to make sure they can get a three to six month beyond use date out of it? Exactly. Hormones got expensive quick, didn't they? At this point, you have to sit back and really as a... You know, when you're looking at margins and you're looking at running a business and operating a business and you're looking at, okay, well, that's fine. I just won't, I won't, I won't extend BUD dating at all. Well, now I'm looking at, well, boy, I just really increased my, um, I reduced my margins, increased my cost tremendously, um, you know, on the, on the the work side of it. You know, I've got to pay people mm-hmm. to go out there and make this instead of making it once, um, maybe monthly, once every two months. Now I've got to make it daily. Well, you can't do that either. So now this gets to the point where you're talking about, you know, something that's really going to be detrimental to, you know, especially small pharmacies out there. Um, you know, the the small compounder who really enjoys what he does. He he makes he makes a makes a good margin on it. He, he he's paying bills with it. But now we're at the point. Okay, if I jump through the hoops that now I have to jump through in testing, I'm I'm instead of being in the black. Well, now I'm not. I'm I'm in the red down to the pink. Oh my gosh, I'm going out the back door. I can't do it. 
you know, that's kind of where we are now uh, with this kind of testing that, that we're going to end up having to do. But there's an option for that. There's alternatives. Well, hang, hang on, because one of the other hidden costs that people don't realize is you do have competitors in the market that might have done testing or they have formulations that are published and they've gone and extended beyond use date. And now you're losing scripts if you're not being compliant or you're not extending beyond use date. So there's also like not just the operational cost end, but you could also be bleeding scripts if you're not giving, be able to give them a good beyond use date. And that's unknown. Oh. Like that's, that's the scary one. That's the scary cost. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, uh, and what uh, the problem with that cost is, is by the time you figure it out, it's too late. They're gone. It, 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 it's it's so much it's so much easier to retain a, a patient than it is to try to get them back. You know that that as we all know that that's just very difficult. Um, we're creatures of habit, all of us, and once we get in a in a routine and get in a habit of something, it's hard to break that habit. Um, financially, you can break that habit. You'll you'll run them off. <laughs> yeah. Trying to bring them back is is a uh, you know that's that's definitely a lot harder. So and that is the unknown, and you don't know. And and as we all know, you know we have several compounders around us that are good compounders. Uh, and it's the same thing as, you know, if, if I'm not doing it and they are, then I know that I'm going to lose my business to them. Mm -hmm. So you can't, blame, you, start, you can't blame a patient for doing it, you know? No. Well, every, everyone wants convenience, especially today. Like we're talking even 30 day supply is, is kind of the minimum that you want. But you know, in this case, like people don't even want to leave the house. I'm sure that they're like, can I have three months? And you're like, oh, I can't, I don't have the testing. They'll, the internet is alive and well, and they can pick up, they can start searching out who can do it for me. So, and you alluded to this, what's the solution? Simple. What's the solution? Test. Well, 26,000. I don't have that much money. Any alter, any alternate that you have up your sleeve? Well, the, it, we can use testing uh, that follows the new guidelines um, as long as we do not waver from um the exact formula that's used at the time. So me, you know, like I've said, I've been doing this for 10 years. The pharmacy's been compounding long before I got here. And, you know, the, the majority of the products that we've always ordered, of course, has been from PCCA. Uh, but like most compounding pharmacies out there, we might grab this from, a, you know, one of your competitors or from another wholesaler. Um, you know, this, this raw drug product, this base, this whatever it may be, um, at the time – for whatever reason, we decided to use that, um, which is, you know, a very common thing to do. And a lot of your listeners out there are doing the same thing in the same boat um, because for whatever reason, to save a buck, to do this, to do that, whatever the reason may be. Uh, when you look at the nuts and bolts of it now, uh, the the 10, the 20, whatever percent I'm paying uh, and or the exact same, <laughs> you know, we might be using another product from somebody else and, uh, call PCCA up and, you know, it's, it's the exact same price that we were paying from somebody else. Um, the, the key to it is, is the BUD testing that PCCA does now that they have in their Formula Plus. Um, when you really look at how many formulas that you have uh, and how many formulas that PCCA has that they have testing on, um, and all I have to do is is, is use your products in order to extend that date out to, to 90 days or to six months. Um, you know, from a financial standpoint, from a margin standpoint, it, it, it's crazy not to look into that and not to do that uh, because you simply can't stay a viable business, number one, without having that testing done. 
to give your patients the most, you know, the longest BUD as possible. Um, and you also can't do that all that testing by yourself. Uh, I've even looked at one of our, you know, some of our really big things that we make a lot of, uh, and and really break down when I'm looking at unit cost per gram or per mL of whatever I'm making, uh, and it's still, it it's not a viable option uh, for me to test even my biggest mover uh, in my pharmacy. Uh, because, like I said, I'm looking at if, if everything maintains the same and the market doesn't dip anymore, uh, I'm looking at years before I recoup that investment. And that's just mm-hmm. a bad investment. That's a bad investment from a financial standpoint, margin standpoint, pharmacy standpoint, from mom and pop, who pharmacy who, you know, doesn't even use an accountant. It doesn't make sense to do that. <laughs> you don't want to make an investment that your return's not going to come for 15 years down the road. Uh, and you're also, on top of that, you're banking on the market staying the same uh, or hopefully improving uh, in yeah. order for it just to be 15 years. So, and in today's economy, I wouldn't, I would not make that investment. I would much rather uh, make a smaller investment with a bigger return, not do that testing on my own. Uh, and that's, that's one of the biggest things I, I have to say. And I, like I said, 10 years now, I've, I've been in, I've been in compounding and I have from day one been, you know, involved with PCCA in some shape, form or fashion. And out of, out of all the years, all the amazing products that you guys have came out with, that PCCH came out with, bases and uh, even equipment that you all brought to the arena uh, for compounders to use, uh, everything that you all have done, I would have to say at this point in, in pharmacy, in compounding pharmacy, uh, this tipping point that we're at, especially with small small pharmacies, compounding pharmacies, trying to keep their doors open, trying to, you know, maintain um, an income for their family and to, to meet that need in their communities for their patients. Uh, what PCCA is doing right now is probably the most influential thing that they've done up to this point uh, since I've been involved with them, doing the testing for um, all your members. Um, and I'll say thank you for doing it because it saves me a lot of money either in testing or in labor and losing patience because I can't keep up. There's no way I can tell you right now, we, you know, we, we run about, um, gosh, we run probably 75, uh, to a hundred different, um, scripts a day, um, for compounds. Um, out of those, we end up having to make, uh, 25, I guess we actually run about 150 a day. We end up making between 25 and 50 of those. So that tells you how many more people I'd have to I'd have to double my force and it still wouldn't work in order to be able to maintain that just our patient load that we have right now. So and of course I don't I, I know that um you have patients out there that everybody listens has those that call back and say, you know, last time I had forty five days on this and now I only got thirty. I, I I want I want my forty five days or I want my sixty days. Just being depending on when they, they come in and pick it up based on when the lot was made, you know. So just imagine if Everybody that walked through the through the front door got that 30 day or got that 29 day or 28 day uh, because they ordered it and didn't come back and pick it up for a week. You know, um, those are awkward conversations to have. <laughs> I'm, I'm very very thankful we don't have to have those conversations with every single person that walks through the door because I'm I'm not uh, able to put a, an extended BUD dating on things. So I appreciate you guys for putting that out there. So Mark, I'm going to jump in and. Uh, wrapping my mind more around your responsibility within the pharmacy, um, being the director of the compounding lab and overseeing all compounding. 
Uh, how it how has it been to educate your staff on on the full utilization of what is available on the members only website when looking up a specific formula and identifying whether or not a formula plus beyond use state study has been performed because for the most part sifting through our, our formula data uh, formula databases could be a tedious task there is close to 10,000 formulations we have uh, 200 or so formulations that have been validated through formula plus uh, how has it been when either looking for a bracketed study and, and getting everybody on board so that they are completely aware that they are looking for a formula plus study to back up the dating that you are applying to compounds well uh, the one thing that i'm we're really lucky in in uh, in this pharmacy is that we have a you know i've got a, a microbiologist that's a quality control director and I also have another pharmacist that's in the lab so that falls on their shoulders um it would be easy to also um you know have our you know our normal technicians that are working in there uh, daily look them up uh, it's not hard to find um, it's easy to link into the pk software once you find them um, but right now you know we as we either have pharmacists or a quality control director that they're the only ones that can assess or um, assess data um, or i'm sorry uh, bud dating on uh, extending them so uh, and the only way we do that is by putting those formulas in there so uh, it, it's an easy process. Uh, there's tons of formulas. You're right. You have got, you know, if you look at your formula ID number, uh, I don't know what number one is, but they, as you know, <laughs> there's, there is a lot of them uh, that just grow and grow and grow, uh, and we're thankful that they grow uh, with the industry. Um, but they are um, easy to find. Uh, you know, I can I can look them up right now and see what I've got out there and what I need. Uh, they're not hard to access at all. The the system that you guys have really fine tunes it and makes it very simple. Uh, just off off word searches is the only thing I, the easiest way I can find them. And and is this something that you communicate directly to your practitioners as well? And how is it leveraged in those conversations potentially when speaking with a new prescriber? Is do you mention? the scientific data that backs up what you do and the validity to some of these formulations. Yes, they you and anyone that that speaks with providers or goes in actually to offices and talks to them you, you know that that's um that's one of the main things that doctors ask you for. Uh they want to know uh statistics studies anything that you can give them. Um they all don't understand that a lot of the things we do um as a compounding, we're not manufacturers, so we don't have studies just pull out of our back pockets unless uh, we have access to studies through you guys. It uh, it, it is very important um, that we can back these things up. That when I get asked, you know, uh, it, and it has happened. Uh, there's several drugs that pop into my head, or several patients rather, um, that I get. I've actually had pushbacks from the doctors and had to show them the studies that show that that you know that our drugs are stable at this. Uh, for this amount of time, whether it be refrigerated or at room temperature or uh, any of these type of things. So it, it is, it's it's definitely a tool. Uh, and if you go in without that tool uh, into a doctor's office or you're, you go to pick that phone call up and you're you're dreading it as a pharmacist because you have a, you know, you get, get a call from up front and they say, there's a, you know, there's a provider on the phone that's calling about this patient and wanting to know why you did this. Uh, and it, it always makes you feel good to know that in the back of your head that, okay, well, whatever question he's about to ask me, um, I can pull it up in my software and I can find the answer to it right there. Um, and a lot of times uh, it is based on dating. 
um, because a lot of practitioners need to see it. They need to, they're touchy, they're feely, they got to see it. They want to, want to fax to them, they want to read it um, before they really, and, and especially new ones. Once you, once you really get established with someone, it's not as, um, you know, it's not, that it's not on the, the top question that they ask you whenever you talk to them. But originally, yeah, you're, you're going to get a lot of that. And it, it feels really good to be able to back it up with that um, and have it ready whenever you need it. Man, it makes you look professional too, <laughs> because you you don't have to don't have to get back with them. You don't have to do some research. It lets them know that you're uh, you're basing what you do off fact, not off what you think, um, and that reassures them. There, there's always been a, a common phrase shared at PCC, and I think I may have said it when we started the podcast, but that it's the fact that members potentially say it best, and no matter what we do, and no matter how we shout from the rooftops and try to get a message across it always resonates far more when a fellow member is able to share their story and, and obviously their process for, for how they utilize the information available, whether it's through scientific evidence, through beyond new stating, whether it's through one of the formulations we have, whether it's the use of a proprietary base um, over something that may have been pre-existed in the marketplace or something that, you know, might be slightly outdated. There, there, there's a lot of innovation that, can be utilized and applied. And, and I think you guys have the unique ability to communicate to our audience in a much easier way than sometimes even we do. So the, the fact that you shared a lot of this information is, in my opinion, it's gold. It's, uh, it, it's so critical for, for everyone to kind of wrap their head around, especially when they do have concerns around the regulatory framework of 795 and what the implications truly are. I think it, it takes somebody who uh, is extremely well-versed into how they read the regulations and what the future implications are. And it sounds like you connected the dots in, and are putting yourself and the pharmacy in a much better spot where some of these, especially at the state board level, where a potential inspector might have very detailed questions on a scientific approach to, to dating. And now you are in a position where you are ready to deal with that if and when it is an issue. And um, I, I don't think you, anyone of us could have put it in a better way. So I, I appreciate you eloquently describing it to our audience because of how important it is. Sure. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you all gave me the opportunity to, to come on and speak with you. It, um, I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've had a good time. Well, I, I said I wanted to circle back to this. Uh, and before we go, Indulge us. Give me, give me your favorite story about one of your successes, because we can all hear a positive story right now and keep us inspired. Uh, some of the best successes that we have uh, and have had um, is when we can um, change somebody's life for the, for almost do a, a 180 and change their life the way their lifestyle. Uh, over time uh, compared to how it has been. And um, more so than anything, the one that pops into my, into my mind is a uh, lady that um, uh, had a, uh, an infection for, I think it was 36 months, um, almost yeah, three years, um, and had went to um, uh, probably five different um, yeah, she went to five different doctors, including uh, wound centers. She was on her on her second second wound center whenever they contacted us 
um, and said, we're throwing our hands up. We're, we're about to have to amputate a leg and we don't know what to do. Um, and we started started therapy on her. Uh, and she called us in a month and she said, I'm walking. And then she, uh, within six months, we had, we had cleared it um, and completely changed her life. Uh, and she still contacts us and talks to us and has one of the pharmacists here has her uh, cell phone and and sends her updated <laughs> pictures of her of uh, of the leg and um, how everything is returned back to normal uh, and just off the top of my head that's probably the the most empowering um, life changing thing that we've done is um, and you know we we have saved a, more limbs uh, than than I can think of off the top of my head I can tell you that there it's it, it and that's that's one of the most amazing things. Uh, is whenever you can really, you know, you have someone and it's it's a last ditch effort, uh, uh, and you can you can help them heal and maintain and then improve uh, over time. It, it's an amazing thing, and and I'll never forget that lady. I can tell you that. Um, but that's that's just one that pops into the you know pops right in the top of my head, uh, and you know the the pictures were amazing. Uh, she was knee down, uh, and that's the reason why they were really giving up hope. They were worried it was um, – we were to the point of gangrene, and it was going to uh, be very invasive cellulitis uh, into osteomyelitis into the bone. So, yeah. um, But that uh, – as far as as far as one of the most impactful things that I've, I think I've ever done, that's probably the one where we've um, – we went from about two weeks before a surgery uh, to put her in a chair for the rest of her life. Uh, and mm-hmm. probably reduce reduce the amount of time she had left in, you know, being you know in a chair, um, you know the 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 remaining part of her life uh, to be able to keep her walking, get her up, and and get her healed. So um, that off the top of my head, that's probably the best uh, the best warm and fuzzy story I've had in a long time. I can tell you. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that. I think you're just giving us the material for our next podcast. We'll bring you back. We'll talk about wound care and we'll talk about the nasty, gnarly wounds and we'll talk about how we fix them. I I liked your idea already. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you, guys. No, thank you, Mark. I I know it's been definitely a trying time for pharmacies and want to thank you again for being on the front lines and for what you are able to do as a a pharmacy professional. And, And thank you for taking the time out of your schedule well, things are probably a bit crazy right now uh, to sit down with us and to do this recording. So it's been a pleasure to have you on a mortar and pestle. And I, like I said, thank you so much for sharing so much great insight in the true application of, of some of the tools that we have available, but what it means in a real world practice. So uh, thanks so much for sharing your experience. You're very welcome. Thank you, guys. Pleasure uh, to have you on. Thank you, Seb. And obviously thank you to all of our listeners out there for the chance of not to miss an episode, we ask that you do subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or on Podbean, potentially any other platform that you do listen to us on. Uh, however, please follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or other social media platforms so you do stay connected with PCCA. And just as an overall reminder to please visit www.pccarx.com to stay up to date with any COVID-19 information on our COVID-19 resource page. This is a public uh, resource center listed on our public domain. So we highly encourage any pharmacy out there to constantly stay up to date. But this is Mike Delisio. We wanna thank you again for listening. Stay safe, we'll talk to you soon.